0: Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry, however, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. Hey, Chloe. Hey, Raph. If if we could teach, you know, or share anything, you know, about how to teach Pilates for seniors with arthritis, what would what would we want to share?
1: Well, we'd want to share what you're going to find out in this episode. So there's absolutely no way I'm going to give it all away in this promo. <laughs> <laughs> and then you don't listen. I don't think so. Uh, but what we can do and can promise that this episode will empower you to work fearlessly with your clients with arthritis and really help empower them to, to get to get moving and feel a lot better
0: hopefully. Sounds awesome. Let's go. Awesome. Hey Chloe.
1: Hey Ralph, how are you going?
0: Yeah, we're back in lockdown again.
1: Oh, oh, have you jumped the gun there? Are we technically in lockdown?
0: <laughs> no, but it's like here we are recording from home.
1: We are recording from home, yeah. Mm. So, uh, depends when you're listening to this uh, in the future or it will def- most definitely be in the future at some point. Uh, yeah, we've had a little coronavirus outbreak in Melbourne?
0: You know what I would like to do is go back into the past and listen to it. I'd like to go like 20 years ago and then listen to these these podcasts. Oh, really? And then I'd know things that people didn't know 20 years ago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's a movie about that, Back to the Future. (laughs) I think the problem with that and with any sort of time travel, not to be non-evidence-based, but the butterfly effect and, we, and oh. we, everyone, we all know, because I quite like a time-travelling movie. i am quite mm. got a bit of a uh, soft spot for a bit of time travel in a movie. Me too. Um, Probably why I love Outlander so much as well. But it's that whole you change one thing and the ripple-on effect of what it changes in the future.
0: Well, I thought you were going to say the grandfather paradox.
1: What's the grandfather paradox?
0: What well, is- I, I travel back in time. I kill my grandfather. My grandfather never has children. I'm never born. Therefore, I don't go back in time. I don't kill my grandfather. Therefore, my grandfather has children. Therefore, I'm born. Therefore, I go back in time, kill my grandfather. Oh my
1: god! Oh. <laughs> Ow. Ow my head! <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's why they call it the grandfather paradox. Okay.
1: Yeah. Wow. Cool. Very interesting. You could
0: equally do it with your grandmother too. I don't know why it's not the grandmother. Let's call it the grandparent paradox.
1: Grand grandparent paradox. Ah, mm. oh, that's really interesting. Mm. Okay. Mm. Well, we're back in. Does it? Does this mean you're not? I, I didn't get a. I didn't get an awesome out of you.
0: Well, I want to. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty awesome. I am pretty awesome. You know what? I'm really awesome today, actually, because I'm enjoying just having it. This is like I'm reliving the the thrill of lockdown.
1: <laughs> <laughs> note note to our listeners: Raf just said the thrill of lockdown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> loves
0: I, loves the lockdown. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically I'm a I'm an incredibly introverted person, and like when I was a kid, not many people know this. When I was a kid. I had this fantasy for like years, like for decades, I had this fantasy that I would travel through space in a spaceship, you know, like in um, uh, a space odyssey 2000, you know, that movie 2001 or whatever it's called, yeah, yeah. that movie where there's just, and there's this scene of this guy, he's the only one on the spaceship who's awake. Everyone else is in, you know, suspended animation or something, and he's just running around the the circle on that spaceship it's all by himself for years and years and years on the spaceship. Well, I had a fantasy kind of like that, except there was no people in suspended animation. It's just me on the spaceship for years, just travelling. Doesn't even matter where I'm going. Oh, wow. And so, like lockdown is kind of like me living my best life. Wow. Yeah. yeah there anyway. you
1: go. Yeah, you've got a pretty good bunker there. Yeah. 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 Look, I look. I'm happier to be at home when I've got I've got got the cats this time around. So. Got my got my fairy fun company, uh, so yeah, all set up at just home. Got my for anyone who's watching the video of this, I'm uh, sitting in front of my lovely little reformer and kettlebells, which is a favourite combo of mine. So that's pretty cool.
0: Looks awesome there. Thank Looks you. Looks like a great great place to be locked down.
1: It's a it's a good setup, and I've got the Wunder chair and the Nocebic spine corrector just over here. <laughs> so. <laughs> We've got the wonder chair, which is like cool. And then we've got the spine corrector. It's like, could it not have a nicer name? Mm. Anyway, classic Joe. Okay. Mm. So, what are we going to talk about today?
0: Well, today we're going to talk about Pilates for seniors with arthritis.
1: Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Great topic. I have a lot of I actually have a lot of clients with arthritis. I actually have a father with arthritis. And I look mm. forward to talking about all the the empowering <laughs> ways that we can uh, facilitate an awesome movement experience for our um, really find it hard to say the word seniors.
0: What, would, what word would you prefer?
1: It's just like adults, people, older people. adults, maybe. Yeah. yeah, seniors. Like you know, my my dad um, has just retired, so he's sixty seven, and he and you've met my dad, Raph, yeah, um, yeah. and he is fit as fuck. He does so <laughs> three, out, like he's the fittest out of everyone in the family. He does three hours of exercise a day. He's, you know, he's surfing, he's hiking, he's doing his Tibetan rites every morning, which is like this this nine rites. It's basically kind of just like this intense, for want of a better word, core workout. Um, and yeah, and he's got osteoarthritis in his, uh, fingers and in his elbow. Um, and you know, to say, oh my dad, senior arthritis just, yeah, sits uncomfortably with me.
0: Yeah. You know what I would prefer to call Pilates for seniors with arthritis? What? Pilates.
1: Oh, I love it. <laughs> Ingenious Ralph. Just Pilates. Just Pilates. Okay, so we've, we've, we will have no doubt have listeners out there that might be fearful of, of working with their clients who say they have arthritis. So I think today will be really awesome because we can uh, potentially de-threaten a lot of that uh, and in empower you with the knowledge uh, that therefore you – and then you can empower your clients and hopefully see uh, your clients with arthritis as uh, less fragile and more highly adaptable basically. Yes.
0: seniors or not.
1: Yeah. Hey, before we do that though, I just want to um, – give like a massive shout out to uh, our our guest, Anthony Lowe, who we had on for um, empowering postpartum Pilates practice. Uh, Talk about an episode going viral, Raf. So the shout out goes to Anthony. The shout out also goes to uh, all of our listeners who have um, A, been so intrigued by the topic and B, like spread the love and and spread the the I, I've seen so many shares of that episode. More shares than I've seen of any other episode in Pilates Elephants History. And I am so excited by that because the whole reason I wanted Anthony on uh was because there was this. Just this nocebic viral freaking video going gangbusters on, on Instagram um, and had been, you know, all the way to being reposted by Balanced Body. And we know once it gets on, but Balanced Body's got a huge, huge reach on Instagram. And A lot of, and I love this, a lot of our grads, our community gone in with very politely too, I must say, our grads really do know how to uh, have a critical conversation uh, without it being an an attack. It was literally like, this is not our understanding of the latest evidence in regards to postpartum exercise. Could you please supply uh, what evidence it is that you are basing these claims on? To which no evidence came back, uh, some some uh, uh, post hoc uh, and some um, opinion pieces, etc. So, what I love is that, um, and and not just our community, but the broader Pilates community. I've really seen uh, this episode uh, empowering uh, postpartum Pilates practice uh, be a gateway for uh, a lot of new listeners. Into Pilates elephants, and uh, I'm getting DMs like, Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for something like this. Yes, yes, so much. Yes. Um, or I've had a baby, and you know, I couldn't believe how I was treated that I was so fragile and this and that. It's like, I've just had a baby. I'm freaking awesome. You know, yeah. I've, I'm strong. My body's adaptable. And um, yeah, so that to me, that's the reason why we do this, Ralph. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just really, I'm really proud of everyone listening. I'm really proud of all the shares. I'm really proud of the engagement on that. And I've had a lot of people asking for Anthony back for, for, for the second round. So (laughs) I'm sure we can accommodate that and Anthony would love to, love to come back.
0: Yeah. Uh, And I'm looking forward to that second conversation. And, uh, I just recorded a, uh, Little uh, one-hour session on the anatomy and biomechanics of diastasis recti this morning, and it's 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 not it's not covering the same content as what we talked about in the podcast. It's really the muscles and origins and insertions and fascia and all of that kind of stuff, uh, and intra-abdominal pressure and blah blah blah. Um, and so that will I'll link to that in the show notes as a little free video you can watch if you if you're interested in oh, the topic. Awesome bonus. Um, and I'm also really proud of. Of our listeners and I received, and I can't remember who it was from, I apologize, but a few people, you know, have reached out to me on on social media and, um, you know, said they're enjoying the the podcast or have tagged me, you know, when they're recommending it to friends or whatever. And uh, I've asked a few of them for feedback. And uh, one woman said, and I'm very sorry, I can't remember who it was, but she said basically Oh look, I love it, but you know, sometimes you guys don't give us enough credit. Like, you know, a lot of us out here actually are already one hundred percent on board with what you guys are talking about, mm-hmm. and um, you know, like you don't have to, you don't have to, uh, you know, convince us.
1: Oh, of I like that. Okay, you know, I'm
0: paraphrasing, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so um, shout out to you, whoever you were that said that, and um, shout out to everybody who's who's listening and and uh, going through this journey with us. Yeah, that's
1: really cool. I yeah. like that feedback. okay. How can we apply that feedback, Raph, um, to how we present?
0: well, it's it's difficult because you know we' we have we have there are some people listening who have been with us since episode one, mm. so they're now listening to episode forty or something like that, and they've they've kind of you know along for the ride, and there are other people who this is the first episode they've heard, right? Mm. They've found us on social media or something, and here they are. And so it's kind of hard to mm. uh, to assume one or the other, right mm. we, it, so yeah, I'm not sure open to any mm. suggestions.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll keep filling it out as we go hey, <laughs> we're learning as well. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. great feedback. Mm. Um, okay, so yay, yay, all of you, yay Anthony and yay us for bringing Anthony on because Anthony's mm. a legend. Mm. Um, okay, well segueing into arthritis. Uh, arthritis, Pilates for seniors with arthritis, God, that leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. So let's talk about why that, like, let's, let's go into some factoids here. So I think the first thing would be like, let's get, you know, well, what is arthritis?
0: What is arthritis? What's arthritis? I love, um, I've got a thing about etymology, not entomology, which is the study of insect, insects. (laughs) Is it? But etymology, which is the study of the the roots of words, so where you know, where oh does this yes, you do from? like this, yep, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, well, I you know, I just I'm interested in it because I think in particularly in anatomy, it really helps you understand what you're thinking about. If you just understand a few Latin combining forms, um, it starts to make a lot more sense rather than just memorising words that don't mean anything. You actually, you know, you're talking about things that mean something. So arthra, um, an arthro is a combining form that means joint. So anytime you hear arthra, that's joint, you know, it, it's the same root as like an articulated bus or an articulated, you know, lorry or something like that. It's It's got a joint in it. And itis means inflammation. So arthritis literally means in inflammation of the joints. So, um, yeah, arthritis means inflamed joints. And I think that's a pretty good general umbrella term because there are several kinds of arthritis mm-hmm. and they all involve some inflammation of the joints. You know, somehow or some or, or other. So yeah, so that's basically it. Your joints get inflamed, and there there are, uh, th- you know, three you know, main kinds. Probably two really main kinds being osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, um, of which osteoarthritis is way more common. Um, and they both involve um, degenerative changes to the joint. So in other words, degenerative just means it gets worse over time, um, and but they're they so the symptoms are kind of similar, but the mechanism is totally different. Um, whereas osteoarthritis seems to be, um, you know, partly genetic, um, partly to do with lifestyle, partly to do with body weight, um, partly to do with systemic inflammation. There are a few factors involved, which we can talk about. Um, and the, whereas rheumatoid arthritis is an is an autoimmune condition, it's where your immune system attacks the the cartilage, you know, of the lining of your joints. So it's a, it's a completely different cause, but the the symptoms are pretty similar.
1: Okay, cool. So mm. where where to from here? Um, I I must admit the the main one that my uh, clients, um, including my father, uh, have or talk about is osteoarthritis, uh, commonly referred to as OA. Um also common to have that in the knee as well. As I as I mentioned, my dad has it in his his fingers and uh more recently in his elbow. Um but I have had, had a lot of clients with uh what we would call knee OA. Um and I uh, you know, I I always think about uh Greg Lehman with this one and shout out to Greg. We shout out to Greg a lot. Uh and Greg uh has actually and we can link to this in the show notes, has actually been beyond generous and put together a a labor of love really he's put together a whole YouTube series um and I think there's a website as well uh called OA Optimism OA Optimism, which is classic Greg. He he coined uh, the phrase movement optimist, uh, which you'll probably see if you go on to any of our, any of the Breathe EGU um, <laughs> trainers or Raf's or Nicole's or my uh, Instagram, you will probably see movement optimist in our bio. Um, so he has put together an in- incredibly invaluable resource um for clients and basically the layperson but really helpful if you are a, an instructor and you're looking for some more uh information to delve a little deeper into knee osteoarthritis knee oa uh, and also ways to help empower um your clients uh to 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 live with it and live well with it uh there's there's um There's YouTube, like he's got, he's got sections on, well, what is it, et cetera. You know, what are some things that you could potentially do for it? Here are some exercise suggestions. Here are some progressive exercise suggestions, et cetera. So I think um, knee OA is pretty common. Raf, would you agree?
0: Yeah, I'm not, I don't have any stats. If it's specifically. But yeah, I believe it's probably the most common, you know, one of, if not the most common form of osteoarthritis.
1: Mm -hmm. I've got in front of me the new ACSM guidelines for exercise testing prescription. So that's the 11th edition. And I must admit that I hadn't realised, I knew that low back pain, or is it low back pain or just back pain in general?
0: Pretty sure it's low back pain.
1: Low back pain is the leading cause of uh, disability worldwide. Um, I had no idea that the second runner up is osteoarthritis. And and it's had a huge increase. In fact, seventy odd percent increase uh, since nineteen
0: ninety. Hmm. Um, that's interesting because I saw something you know probably three four years ago now, so a bit out of date, suggesting that mental health was in the top three there as well. Some whether it's depression or you know anxiety or combination.
1: And and actually, it's more than seventy percent. It's seventy five percent if I'm being accurate. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, Increased globally by 75% from 1990 to 2013. Uh, hmm. Yeah. So really interesting. It says here the two most common, as we know, most common forms of arthritis are OA and rheumatoid arthritis. Hmm. Mm, so, um, okay, so we know that it's increasing. We know that it causes um, pain and hmm. potentially uh, – Impacts uh, people's who have it impacts their ability to do the things that they love to do slash potentially need to do in a workplace mm. setting and so on and so forth. So um, I think there's quite a lot of this is just this is what I've heard what I've heard around the traps and from different instructors, uh, et cetera. And I think it's the whole reason that someone like Greg Lehman has dedicated a lot of his personal time. He's not getting money for this. He's literally created this because he's so passionate about it and so passionate about helping people uh, with osteoarthritis. Um, that there is a fear around moving joints through range if you have osteoarthritis, and that um, you should be restricting range. Uh, so I think we need to and also really address uh, I hear that. a lot
0: about restricting you know, restricting high load, restricting particularly impact, avoiding impact. Mm. Um, all, yeah, so I think there's there's basically a lot of rules that people get given around exercise. Uh, when they're either when they're seniors or when they've got arthritis, or you know, heaven forbid, when they're both.
1: Heaven forbid. Yeah. Heaven forbid. But I just like to say that that young people get arthritis as well. So it's yeah. not just a, a older adult. Yeah. Do do you prefer older adult to seniors?
0: I <laughs> I just prefer freaking human. Human. You know. Like mm. Who cares? You know. I don't say thirty-seven year old adult. It's like who cares what age you are. You know.
1: Yeah. Okay. I think when right. we think of seniors, would, would you agree that where we're using this, we're leading? There is this this catchphrase. So there's this catchphrase: seniors. So to me, that tells me that people type in seniors, people googling seniors, oh, yeah. arthritis for yeah. seniors. So so out there in the movement and rehab stratosphere, seniors is a category.
0: Right, and I think there's a you know I think that what we need to address in this conversation is equally the the fear and and misconceptions that are around that notion of seniors you know so typically when i when i you know if you go to google images and you know type in seniors exercise you get all kinds of pictures of happy, grey-haired, smiling people do, sitting on a fitball and, and doing With the yellow with,
1: TheraBand.
0: Yeah, with the yellow TheraBand. Or the, the pink one-kilo one kilo dumbbells. Yeah, <laughs> one-kilo dumbbells. Yeah. A- a- and, it, like, why? Why can't they be doing push-ups or running marathons or, well, you can. know, s- squatting heavy or or doing, like, gymnastics or whatever? It's like, mm. yeah, so we we kind of – we create these artificial constraints for people mm. as as, the, as we put them in a basket of being a certain age. And there are absolutely people who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who can do heavy weightlifting, who run long distances. Hello, who, train with you know, Joan.
1: We've spoken about her before. Yeah. The, the absolute legend. She's got a fitness app coming out. Huh. She's got a fitness app coming out. She's in her 80s. Freaking okay. awesome.
0: Going to link to her in the show notes again.
1: She's awesome. She's got a fitness app coming out. Like hell to the yes. Um, so, so yeah, okay. So yeah, and the, so this uh, hopefully that's clarified why. why, why I don't like the word seniors. Also, when I think, you know, when I think of seniors and think of that image of seniors, I mean, to me, it's almost I'm thinking my nan when I used to go and visit her in the home she lived in. That was mm-hmm. kind of like that's the seniors sort of. Maybe I don't know, but again, they're just old adults. Anyway, moving on from that. um, Could we talk about uh, this fear of, um, if we could just first of all zoom in on the fear of, because I think this is a a big one, Mm -hmm. Uh, potentially the elephant here is if you have a client who has arthritis, and here I think we're particularly talking about osteoarthritis, Mm -hmm. that you should not work their joints through range because you could cause more harm.
0: Mm. Well, I think this applies equally to osteo- and rheumatoid okay. arthritis. And all right, so just before we get into that, can we just lay out what the elephants are? Because you started to do that, but I think then I sidetracked you or something. So, um, so, <laughs> or right, all right, so I sidetracked so you. One, yeah, what you just, maybe we sidetracked you. <laughs> yeah, so what you just said, which is, uh, all right, so that's the first elephant, is that we should avoid, you know, end range or moving through full range. Um, there's another one I think I mentioned about avoiding impact, avoiding high load. Mm-hmm. I think there's another one that is that seniors need to do some f- special form of exercise that's different to like just what any old human would do. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else? Any other elephants?
1: Well, I guess that loops in. So if we're saying that, that will loop into fragility because for me, the whole that, mm-hmm. that that arthritis equals fragile. If you have arthritis, mm-hmm. you are inherently fragile. Mm. uh to me is an is an elephant.
0: Mm.
1: I kind of wish I had my dad here. <laughs> you know, so everyone could kind of get a visual of Oh yeah, that's not fragile.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's and I think let's just start with that one because that's more of a general point that well it's paradoxical because humans are not like a crystal vase, you know, we're not we 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 we're, we're an organic, you know, self-adjusting system. And we're an adaptive system. And so if a human is frail and fragile, well, the way to make that human less frail and fragile is to subject them to load, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right? So paradoxically, a crystal vase, if it's frail and fragile, the way to keep it safe is to avoid subjecting it to a load. You know, keep it in your cabinet, you know, never, Mm. never take it out. Don't even look at it, you know, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but a human if you actually don't subject us to load, we get more fragile. You know, put someone in bed rest or send them into outer space or put someone in a flotation tank for a year, they'll come out more fragile. You know, their bones will be more brittle, their muscles will atrophy, that, you know, everything will be weaker. So you need to subject humans to load to make us less fragile. So the 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 kind of intuitive notion that many people have that, oh, if somebody's, you know, in a in a in a vulnerable situation, we should avoid loading them. That's you know exactly paradoxical. Yes, we need to avoid overloading them, but we need to absolutely avoid underloading them just as much. Yeah. Love
1: it. Anti-fragile. Right. Yeah. Anti-fragile. Um,
0: all right. So range of motion, eh? Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, so is this where you want to talk about cartilage yeah, and I, nourishment I, I, and all that? I
1: really do. I want you to nerd out on it because this was a real, the the first time I really started to understand this uh, was when uh, back in the day when we were still in a face-to-face setting pre-COVID, pre-COVID, which just seems like a century ago now or something, doesn't it? Uh, It feels like, you know, one of those time traveler things. But anyway, if I time travel back to pre-COVID times, um, my first real understanding of this was when I was needing to present we called it the special populations uh, for um, the diploma. And uh, one of the, in within that was uh, arthritis. Um, and this is the first time I really learned how you actually hydrate joints and mm-hmm. that you need to work them through range. And I still have this visual of, because I was so impressed you made uh, this slide yourself, Got to, like took the photo yourself, Raph. I can still, I'm like, I remember looking at this visual of this slide and I was like, there's a hand and you've got a sponge and you're you're squeezing squeezing the sponge in a pool. I'm like, look at the hand. I'm like, it doesn't look like a Shutterstock hand. I'm pre- pretty sure I know that hand. That's got to be Raph's hand. I'm like, Raph, is that your hand? <laughs> and I hand. just love that you- Created that slide and took by taking the photo of your own hand. And And
0: that that slide still features in our diploma.
1: And it's so fantastic. And I saw recently uh, our mate Meeks, uh, Adam Meekins, has done a great little – and uh, his Instagram is freaking fantastic. If you're not following uh, Meeks uh, Sports Physio uh, on Insta, you need to be. And he does some great infographics. And he just this week did the sponge analogy. So I was like – Raph did that first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that's what I'd like you to explain, Raf, because I think it's awesome.
0: Okay. So, um, all right. So mm, the majority of joints in the human body are what's called synovial joints, um, which means that basically they have a synovium, which is it's the fancy name for a joint capsule, right? The synovium is actually the membrane that goes inside the capsule um, that, that secretes synovial fluid. Um, But basically, if a joint's got a joint capsule, it's a synovial joint. And uh, then there are some joints in your body that aren't synovial joints, like the joints in between your uh, vertebral bodies. You know, you've got an intervertebral disc. You know, that's not a synovial joint. Um, Your sternoclavicular joint is not a synovial joint. You know, there are a few joints in your body that are not synovial joints. Your um, symphysis pubis, not a synovial joint. But basically, if you think of most of the joints... You know, like your facet joints in your spine, your hips, your knees, your elbows, your wrists, your ankles, your finger joints, your toe joints, you know, they're all synovial joints. So, you know, uh, most joints in your body are synovial joints, which means they have a joint capsule and there are generally two, sometimes, you know, an extra one, but generally two bones joined together or, you know, the ends of them, you know, almost touch each other and each bone has a layer of cartilage over it um, and then there's a joint fluid or called synovial fluid um, and then there's a, a membrane around the outside called a synovium um, which which holds the you know holds the fluid in and, and secretes the fluid and uh, the reason that we you know we have a synovial joint rather than say just two bones end to end is, uh, basically to reduce friction and absorb shock. Um, and so, you know, if you've if you've ever, you know, held a bone, like from the butcher or, or whatever, um, or even just, uh, you know, a, a plastic skeleton, like you get in, in a lot of Pilates courses, like the ends of the femurs, the ends of the tibia and stuff, like they're not that smooth, you know, like they're smooth-ish, mm. but they kind of got some indentations and irregularities to them. And if you think about, you know, like... W- the speed that your say you know knee joint must move or your shoulder joint moves you know when you throw a ball or run or whatever it's like you know hundreds if not even thousands of degrees per second like really fast we can have really fast movements and are subjected to incredibly high pressures as well and so you know having a joint that is only somewhat smooth is just a recipe for excessive friction and you know, wear on those structures and, and losing efficiency in the movement. If like, you know, imagine like opening a rusty gate that's not, that has a lot of friction in it, mm. you know, like how much effort that requires. Well, imagine if moving, if, if bending your knee required that much effort because there was all that friction inside your knee joint, you know. So you, we, we have um, a smooth glass-like articular cartilage Right, that goes that that covers the joint surfaces, um, and it's called hyaline cartilage. And hyaline um, uh, means glass-like. You know, so it's smooth and it comes from its 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 quality. Like if you get a marrow bone, say from the butcher, the the cartilage on the end of it is super smooth and and almost frictionless. You know, if you slide your finger across it, mm-hmm. um, and so in the and that's you know of varying degrees of thickness. It's like An eighth of an inch, roughly, you know, less in your fingers and more in your hips, sort of thing. Um, And then there's, there's, and there's, so it's the two bits of cartilage that cover the ends of the bones that actually touch, you know, the bones per se don't touch each other. But even cartilage is not perfectly frictionless. You know, it's almost perfectly frictionless. It's very low in friction, but it's not perfectly frictionless. And so we've got an even further design improvement there which is to have uh basically water but let's say court synovial fluid that's the proper name for it inside the joint and so what happens is we've got these two sort of uh two bones each with articular cartilage the articular cartilage is touching but then in between the two bits of articular cartilage you know say your your, your femur bone in your thigh and your tibia bone in your shin you know your knee joint essentially there's like a a Microscopically thin layer, like maybe one or two molecules thick. You know, like a ten thousandth of a millimeter thick. You know, like really, really, really thin um, layer of water. You know, joint fluid in between the two layers of articular cartilage. Right. So it's like imagine. I mean, you've 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 walked at a in a bathroom on a marble floor that's got water on it. Right and you know how slippery that stuff can be, mm. it basically has almost zero friction. So if we have two surfaces, both of which are virtually frictionless because they're made of articular cartilage, and then we put like two molecules of water in between them, they slide almost without any resistance over each other. So our joints are incredibly well designed. Um, and the synovial membrane, you know, the joint capsule, keeps all that fluid inside the joint. Um, so, yeah, so that's basically the design of, uh, of a joint, and um, the in in arthritis, it's the cartilage, the articular cartilage, that is degraded. And in osteoarthritis, um, it kind of frays, and you know, sort of like a an old car tire, you know, where the the the, the metal bits show through a little bit, um, and. In rheumatoid arthritis, it's not quite the same because it's your immune system attacking it. So it sort of becomes, it's eaten, literally, by your immune system. Um, but in both cases, the cartilage, you know, is less healthy. Um, and cartilage is, uh, it's living tissue, um, but it is uh, it is mostly collagen, um, which is a protein, which is not so, living.
1: So like when we've talked about fascia before?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, most of you is made of collagen. yeah, um, uh, and and every so often within the cartilage, there's a cartilage cell, okay that extrudes bits of collagen, and that's its job is to just to sit there spitting out bits of collagen all the time. Um, and you know it's in this matrix of collagen which forms the bulk of the cartilage, and then every so often there's a cell that does it. So so basically cartilage is living tissue, although a lot of it is just collagen. Um and so because it's living tissue, it needs nourishment you know, it needs oxygen, it needs glucose, it needs, you know, all of those things that that cells need. Um, And uh, that's where a problem occurs, because we've got this synovial joint, and it's got a joint capsule around it, and the joint capsule has got to be watertight, right? Because the whole point of it is to keep the water inside the joint from leaking out of the joint. So we can't stick a blood vessel through that, through that. Uh, synovium, right. And moreover, like in your knee joint, say every time you walk, right, when you land on your foot, something like double your body weight goes through your knee joint, right. And when you run, it's more like 15 or 20 times your body weight goes through. Your knee joint. So, if we put a little capillary, you know, like a tiny-sized blood vessel inside that cartilage in your knee joint, like the first time you stood up, the capillary would be obliterated, right? They're, they're so tiny and fragile that they just couldn't withstand the pressures that build up inside a joint. So we don't have any blood vessels. Um, it's called an avascular, you know, no blood vessels. It's called an avascular environment. There's, uh, there's no blood supply in there, which you, hopefully out there you're thinking like, huh, well, how does the cartilage get glucose? How does it get oxygen?
1: Can I ask, Graf, is that the same as the iliotibial band? There's no, my understanding is there's no blood in there as well. Is that correct? Be totally
0: uh, so, off so, topic. But. Well, the iliotibial band is uh, connective tissue, the same as car- in you know, which is the same tissue type that that uh, highline cartilage in your knees is. Uh, but the situation is different, and it it does have uh, some blood supply to ah, it. Okay. Um, but all fascia, you know, all connective tissue is, is what we'd call metabolically sluggish. In other words, it's 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 not very active, right? If you think about like a brain cell, right, or a muscle cell, like those cells are doing stuff all the time. They're always chugging away, clunk, 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 using up glucose, using up oxygen. I mean, if you don't give your brain oxygen four minutes later, you die, right? Your brain needs a lot of fuel all the time. It's always like something like, I can't remember the exact figure, but it's like 20% of your energy that you use goes to just your brain, right? So your brain cells use a lot of energy because they're very active, Whereas your connective tissue cells are like bears hibernating for the winter, you know, like they're really sluggish and they're just not doing a lot. Um, you know, every now and then they pop out of collagen fiber, you know, that's about it. So they don't they don't require as much oxygen and glucose. So therefore, we don't have as many blood vessels servicing them because I just don't need as much fuel, don't make as many waste products. So the the IT band, like all you know, tendons, ligaments, and whatever, is Relatively thinly supplied with blood vessels, compared to say a muscle tissue or a nerve tissue or something like that. Mm. Long answer to a short question. Sorry.
1: No, it's great. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I was incorrect. I always thought that the iliotibial band did not have a blood
0: supply. No, it's living tissue, and therefore it needs blood supply. Gotcha. And and that's incidentally why. Tendons and ligaments take way longer to heal than, like, if you tear a muscle, you expect it to be better in three or four or five or six weeks, right? Um, Because it's got really good blood supply, gets lots of healing and you know repair. Whereas if you do a tendon, it's like twelve to eighteen months.
1: I'm sorry to keep focusing in on the iliotibial (laughs) band, but okay, the iliotibial band is white, correct? Is that right? If I we chopped my leg open now, it's white, and that's due to to not having a lot of blood flowing through it. It's due to the collagen.
0: It's due to the collagen content.
1: Gotcha. Okay, let's uh let's pass the like iliotibial band bo- bone, for another bones day. Bones are
0: also white, but <laughs> bones also have blood supply in them. Like your bones have got massive blood supply in them. Mm. In fact, inside your femur, you know, Good your thigh bone, that's where your bl- red blood cells are created. Right, yeah. so you're actually building all of your blood inside your bones. So they're highly metabolically active in terms of blood supply, but they're white because they're like you know made up of mostly collagen and calcium.
1: Mm, super cool. I hope, uh, my hope is sometimes when I ask these questions that may seem a little bit, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that other people are also <laughs> have been potentially thinking it and going, oh gosh, okay, great. Glad you asked that, Chloe. <laughs> oh, that's
0: <great laughs> that's my hope.
1: That's my hope. Um, so anyway, uh, I have sidetracked us. So back to, we, we've um, talked about uh, well, what is cartilage? Where is it? Uh, what is its function? And uh, that it can't, it, it doesn't have any uh, capillaries uh, because uh, what was the reason? Oh, because it needs to be tight, needs to be watertight, correct? And yep, okay, and, and withstand force.
0: Bam! When it, capillaries are tiny, yes. like they have minuscule, you know, like the whole point of a capillary, it's the smallest blood vessel in your body. The capillaries are literally the same diameter as a single red blood cell. So they're seven microns, which is seven one thousandths of a millimeter. Which means diameter. I can't
1: we can't see it with Way the naked eye. Too small to see mm-hmm. with
0: the naked eye. Cool. They're absolutely microscopic, literally microscopic. Um, and the whole point of a capillary is that's where gas exchange occurs, right? That's where the the oxygen leaves the red blood cells and gets into the the tissues of your body, mm-hmm. right? And where the carbon dioxide and whatever. Gets out of the tissues of your body and cleaves, uh, you know, to the red blood cells. So the the whole point of capillaries is they have very very thin walls, mm-hmm. right? Because if they had thick walls, well, the oxygen couldn't get through. Mm-hmm. So we have these tiny little capillaries with thin walls, with openings in them to let gas and glucose and all this stuff in and out, right? Which makes them incredibly fragile. So we they just can't. They're not made to withstand high levels of pressure or or force. Right. right? Gotcha. They're easily damaged.
1: Okay. So how do we hydrate the joints?
0: Well, we uh we run a blood vessel up through the middle of the bone, okay. Um, to the to the joint surface, right, mm-hmm. to just below the joint surface. And then so that capillary runs right up next to the base level of cartilage that attaches to the bone. Okay. Now I said before that that uh you Know cartilage in your knee, I think, is like about an eighth of an inch thick. Um, and which, uh, now cartilage cells are about uh 20 microns. No, I'm got, I'm mixing my inches and millimeters here, but oh well. Um,
1: uh, to be honest, I, I, I don't know what any of them mean. I'm just like, well, that's small. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so. <sighs> Well, an eighth of an inch. What uh, would that be? Like three, four like millimeters. Like I'm thinking, like you
1: know, how how like couldn't like no. I'm gonna leave it. I'm yeah, just yeah, continue. I'm I'm. I'll wrap my head around it later.
0: All right. So the the cartilage in your knee is you know two, three, four millimeters thick, something like that. Okay, roughly, uh, which is very. It's like the thickness of an insole that you would have in your shoe. Um, and cartilage cells are way smaller than that. Cartilage cells are about twenty microns across, which is twenty one thousandths of a millimeter, right? And so, if you think of the th- like a human hair, like imagine you've got twenty-twenty vision, the thinnest, finest human hair that you could see with your naked eye would be maybe sixty microns, mm-hmm. right? Sixty one thousandths of a millimeter, and that's probably the smallest object you can see with a naked eye if you've got twenty-twenty vision. So, a, a cartilage cell is one third of the width of the smallest human hair you could see, right? So they're very, very small. And the cartilage in your knee, you know, so cartilage cells are, are about a fiftieth of a millimeter thick, right? 21 thousandths is one So cartilage cells are one fiftieth of a millimeter thick. And the cartilage in your knee is like two to three millimeters thick. So you've got like a hundred to one hundred and fifty cartilage cells you kind know, of stacked one on top of the other in your in your knee, making up that cartilage. Um, and the, the blood supply that supplies the base level, you know, the, the bottom row of that cartilage where it joins onto the bone of your, of your tibia or your femur, supplies oxygen and glucose to the first maybe one or two or maybe three cartilage cells. But it can't get through, you know, 50 or 100 layers of cartilage cells. It's like the, the oxygen won't kind of leach through all of those cells. So most in most places throughout your body, there's, you know, no cell is more than two cell diameters from a blood supply, you know. So we have literally hundreds of thousands of kilometres of blood vessels in your body because we have to have a blood vessel within basically every third cell. There needs to be a blood vessel and you've got, you know, billions, trillions of cells in your body. So um, we have to have a blood vessel, you know, every third cell in order for the, the gas exchange to take place. But you've got like 100, 200 cartilage cells thick in your knee with no blood vessels in it. So how do we get the the the, mm. the nourishment in? Well, the synovial fluid, right, the fluid inside the joint. Now, any time in your body that we say fluid, like, you know, cerebrospinal fluid or, you know, bile in your liver or, you know, intestinal, um, you know, Juices in your in your gut, or you know, tears in your in your in your eyes, you know, like mucus. You know, any fluid, it's basically just water with some bits floating in it. Even <laughs> blood, right? Blood some, just,
1: I'm thinking of mucus here. Water with some other gross bits in it. Has right, it, well, it, it does it, it right? depend? So, water with different substances mixed in.
0: Yeah, it's different. It's different. Very different proportions of basically the same substances, right. You know, a few few little variations there, but right so mucus, right? Well mucus is basically uh, water with proteins in it, okay uh, And think about I mean you've mixed water with proteins plenty of times. Um,
1: makes it seem but, way less gross now that you're explaining it uh, like that.
0: Yeah well well, I mean you've mixed you've made jelly, right? Yeah, or jello, right? Well jello is just it jelly crystals are just protein, yeah. right? right? They get horses' hooves or whatever. And, Is it still made you know, with
1: horses' hooves? I
0: don't Come know. Come on. But uh, it's made of animals, <gasps> okay. right? And, and they just Oh, yeah, okay, up, see what you're you saying. Know, mm. They just grind up tendons and, you know, whatever, you know, protein, a- until it's a powder, right? And then they put it through some process to get all the tendon flavour out of it and put in lime flavour and whatever. Um, <laughs>
1: to mask but, the horse hoof. Flavour, <laughs> pull out all the
0: hairs and things. Um, uh, but basically, it's just it's proteins, right? Ground up, and you add protein to water, and it gets sticky. Makes the water sticky, right? That's what gelatin is, right? So when you mix proteins in with water in your body, it gets sticky, and what happens? Like blood, Blood's sticky, right? The stuff that comes out of your, a wound on your finger, you know, the yellow stuff that comes out of a wound on your finger sometimes when you've got a Band-Aid and you pull the Band-Aid off and there's this kind of yellow stuff underneath, not pus, but like, it's that kind of yellow exudate that you get out of it. That's real sticky. It's just water with clotting proteins from your, you know, from your blood. So anyway, any time in your body where there's, you know, a fluid, it's really just water with bits floating in it and which bits and how many of them are there are, you know, makes it cerebrospinal fluid as opposed to synovial fluid, but it's basically the same stuff, right? Um, and in so in synovial fluid in your joint, you know, there are certain proteins in there, and there are bits of this and that, and there's some sodium and some potassium and, you know, a bunch of stuff, and there's a bunch of oxygen, and there's a bunch of glucose, okay? Um, because that's all uh, exuded by the synovial membrane. And so what happens is when you stand on your knee, right, when you stand on your leg, okay, well, the two bones of your knee get squished together. There's an immense amount of pressure, okay, which basically you know, squeezes those, those uh, cartilage cells together and pushes any fluid that's in between the cartilage cells out, like when you squeeze out a, a cloth, okay? Mm-hmm. And then when you take your weight off that leg, well, and you lift your leg up, well, there's a little suction, Right? Those, those bones come apart a you know, microscopic amount uh, and there's a little space in the joint there and that creates a suction and actually fluid rushes in, in, is sucked in, in between the cartilage cells, just like if you take a dish cloth and squeeze it out under the water in the dish, in the, in the sink, and then, and then still leaving it under the water, you stop squeezing it and release the pressure like water rushes into the cloth. Right? and that's exactly what happens in your knee or your hip or wherever um, in the cartilage is, is that rhythmic you know uh, pressure and then release, pressure and then release is what forces synovial fluid between those cartilage cells carrying glucose and oxygen and all of those other things that cells need uh, to the cells and carrying the waste products, you know free hydrogen ions and carbon dioxide, whatever. Away from the cell, so basically it washes the cells with this synovial fluid. You know, so you uh, you need to compress and then release, compress and then release that cartilage on a regular basis in order to maintain the health of those cells.
1: Awesome. So when you say compress, compress and release, are you talking about just me going for a walk, or are you talking about me? Squatting, or are you talking about me lunging, or I, like, is could you explain a little more?
0: Well, uh, probably all of the above, because uh, you don't need a huge amount of load. Um, you know, like just body weight is plenty to to maintain your joint health. But the thing is, uh, you know, particularly in your knee, it's a, it's a good example. If you can think of the knee, well, if you look at a at a picture of a knee, any a knee joint, anytime, like a, the bones of the knee. Um, the 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 femur is very the end of the femur is very curved it's round okay whereas the top of the tibia the shin bone is flat mm-hmm. and what happens is the the end of the femur is round the tibia is flat and it, the the flat tibia kind of rolls around this rounded end of the femur okay so when when the femur uh, sorry when the tibia is rolled all the way one way so in other words when the leg's straight it's it's in contact with a certain part of the femur, mm. okay? And when the as the leg bends, it loses contact with that part and it's now in contact with a different part of the femur, mm-hmm. okay? So if you uh, load your leg only in upright standing, you're only loading certain parts, you know, some you know, part of the the contact surfaces. And in order to load all of the cartilage, you need to fully flex and straighten your knee, you know? So in other words, deep squat or lunge or some other you know exercise that puts the knee through full range of motion under load
1: oh fantastic that's awesome raf um what a great place to take a break
0: i just want to quickly mention that if you've got questions if you've got things floating around your head question marks maybe somebody said something at work and you're like not really clear on what that means but i'm kind of not confident to ask because i don't want to look kind of foolish in front of people well come ask me and um you won't look foolish. You'll be a hero for asking awesome questions. And even the questions that you think are like, maybe that's a really stupid question, those are the questions you get the biggest gold stars for asking. So come ask me. We've got a weekly Q&A. It's live. It's called Stop Faking It and Really Know Your Stuff. There's always a bunch of great people online. There's a, always a great conversation. And uh, you leave you know wiser, empowered, and uh, feeling a sense of solidarity with like-minded folk. So i love to see you.
1: Welcome back, Ralph.
0: Hey, thanks. What did you do on the break?
1: Um, well, I uh, <laughs> my <laughs> I, I saw how cute my cat is being with um, with with Josh. Who's helping with with sound and production, and she's all cuddled up fast asleep on him. And I swear to God, she's only got onto my lap. Maybe this is PJ. Everyone who's following along with Chloe and the Cats, which needs a few more follows, by the way, on Instagram. Chloe without an H, if you're looking for it. Um, <laughs> PJ's probably got onto my lap and snuggled on me like three times. And here's Josh, and she's just like, "I'm just going to live on you now." I'm like, "Okay, cool." Um, hey. I just want I wanted what we were just talking about um I love looping into uh getting excited about old episodes and myself I'm always learning from these episodes, and one of those has been uh particularly been the Doms episode delayed onset muscle soreness another another one of our episodes that really got quite um a huge amount of downloads um, and everyone's been really fascinated by it and quite like mind blown because it turns out the majority of us Pilates people are, for want of a better word, doms chasers. (laughs) And we've all had to sort of rethink how we actually feel about that uh and yeah so it's been very liberating for me I'm loving doing workouts and feeling like I'm getting stronger and fitter and not being having to limp around for the next couple of days because I'm so freaking sore uh, has been a, a, a game changer for me and for a lot of our listeners because I've had a lot of um a lot slide into my dms about doms so.
0: oh that's awesome yeah. And isn't it awesome when you learn something new that that enables you to see something that you'd previously seen, but with a different light and you're like, oh, I never saw it that way before. never thought of it that way. And all of a sudden you, the world seems a little bit, a slightly different place.
1: Oh, I freaking love isn't it. Like awesome? I seriously thought that if I wasn't sore the next day, I hadn't gone hard enough. Hmm. And and as I was telling you, I've now, I've increased my, my leg press by 20 kg I thought it was only 10 I was like no Chloe you can do and I did a few reps I was like oh no this is easy whacked on another 10 I was like no it's a 20 kg increase this week Mm -hmm. and I came away with no delayed onset muscle soreness did Mm -hmm. three three sets of a roundabout eight reps roundabout maybe I could go a little heavier next time but I'm playing around with this sweet spot where I don't limp around for days afterwards going, oh, oh God, I'm so sorry. I can't do anything. I can't do anything else. Can't do Pilates. Can't do anything. So anyway, thanks. Thanks Raf. That was, that was one of my favorite episodes. Thanks Um, science. So back to what we were discussing uh, before the break, uh, which is joint health, basically, and uh, in order to have maximal health for our, for our joints, we need to work them ultimately through range, correct?
0: And yeah. And that's why, and that's no different for people with arthritis. And in fact, that's why the current ACSM guidelines uh, recommend that for people with arthritis, moving joints through full range of motion is really important. It's one of the, the top recommendations in the current guidelines is to move through full range of motion on a daily basis.
1: Wow, okay. So then there's probably two things here. I know I I led with earlier that instructors might be fearful of moving their clients through range. I think it's just the set also our our clients may be fearful of of moving through range. Um A it hurts, right? It can hurt. And and B or feel unpleasant and be potentially they're concerned that they're doing more damage or that that you mm. know that that nocebic kind of notion of of wear and tear mm. i'm going to mm. i'm going to wear it out if i keep moving it yeah and and i know and, my dad has referred to his a little bit sometimes as wear and tear
0: yeah well you know there are a few words that i wish we would we collectively would just stop using and wear and tear uh, are on that list you know, I, I think there's no situation where wear and tear is a good description of, of what's happening in the body. Um, oh,
1: gosh, Raph, I agree with that. Um, uh, that's that's a really, really powerful statement. Yeah, it's a real – because it's it, it's an extremely common misconception uh, yeah. of the body and it's the, the body as a machine uh, that ultimately wears out.
0: Right, not a self-repairing – Organic, anti fragile, you know, organism. Uh, and we've got good scientific evidence that osteoarthritis is not a disease of wear and tear. Um, we used to think it was a, wear, a disease of wear and tear, but in the last 20 years, we've there's pretty strong science. Um, and so there are a number of angles. Like we have uh, skeletons from uh, archaeological uh, evidence from, you know, um, I can't remember exactly, but let's say 20, 30,000 year old. Well, pre-industrial, you know, hunter-gatherer skeletons. And they basically have almost no osteoarthritis. Um, And we know that. uh, Wow, really? Yeah. Um, We know also um, just in in present.
1: Sorry, sorry. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Did they not die really young as well?
0: Uh, yeah but we can we can tell the age of these skeletons and we can age match them with right, modern okay, with you you know, you. folk yep. and they've got a much lower and I'll will link to that in the in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um I'm just making So they didn't have
1: osteoarthritis that. but they had other things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they probably got eaten by saber-tooth tigers <laughs> and died of infections <laughs> and things right, like that but yeah. um so I'm not saying you know those were the good old days but uh, <laughs> yeah. we didn't have as much osteoarthritis. Right. Uh, we know even now um uh uh Sedentary lifestyle is a risk factor for osteoarthritis. So, you know, people who do less exercise have more osteoarthritis. So it's not a condition of wear and tear. It's a condition of disuse. Uh, Although, all right. That's probably not 100 mm. correct.
1: I think my my dad it, would be jumping up and down, going, "But I've used it, so I'm so yeah, active, and have been active my whole life."
0: Disuse is one of the important factors, mm-hmm. um, and there are other. Oh, factors it's a contributing like factor, yeah, and yeah, uh, etc. So, uh, osteoarthritis prevalence has doubled since 1950. Um, is another interesting stat as we've you know as we've become more sedentary, right? Um, uh, and so, it, it, and and you know we've got, we've got good evidence that. People who habitually uh, run, you know, long distances each week um, over years, don't have more osteoarthritis in their knees than people who don't run. In fact, they have less osteoarthritis in their knees than people who don't run. So, um, however, people who run like super ultra marathons on a regular basis, they end up having more osteoarthritis. So, there seems to be some kind of U-shaped. Uh, mm-hmm you know, relationship with activity.
1: And is that osteoarthritis symptomatic or asymptomatic? Because I know they've done a lot of uh, research on marathon runners that, yes, have a higher Mm. percentage of OA, but it is asymptomatic.
0: Yeah, I don't know marathon runners particularly, um, but I do know that, um, you know, having osteoarthritis is associated with having knee pain you know, osteoarthritis of the knees, obviously, mm-hmm. is associated with having knee pain. You know, so people with osteoarthritis of the knees are more likely to have knee pain than people who don't have osteoarthritis of the knees, right? So okay. it there's some relationship with between osteoarthritis and pain, but the severity of the, the radiographic findings, so, so, you know, how bad your MRI is, basically, has no relationship with how bad your pain is. Yes. Right. So there are people with you know terrible MRIs who happy as Larry running marathons, or whatever. There are people with very mild osteoarthritis on MRI who are crippled. And and so there there is there is a relationship between osteoarthritis and pain, but it's kind of a nebulous You know, it's like it's not a direct relationship of more osteoarthritis equals more pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think that that the notion that it's uh, a disease of wear and tear really you know, we need to put that to the side. We need to put it away. It's, you know, we need to let go of it. It's Mm. not, it's not a condition of wear, of wear and tear. It's a condition, you know, it's genetic, it's, uh, inflammatory, uh, and it's also, you know, disuse and sedentary lifestyle are big factors as well. Um, so, you know, if you want to minimize your chance of, of osteoarthritis, get moving. Um, also, for people with osteoarthritis, like there are probably a lot of people out there with osteoarthritis, like you said, who are symptom-free and don't even know it and don't need to know it because mm. it's not a, you know, it's not affecting them in any way. Mm. Um, but people who get knee pain and then subsequently get a scan, or, you know, or hip pain or whatever, you know, whatever joint, um, and then find out that they've got osteoarthritis and go, "Oh, that's what's causing my pain." Well, there are plenty of people with knee pain who don't have osteoarthritis, right? And one of the things that predicts poor outcomes and worse pain is uh, mental health in people with osteoarthritis. So people with poorer mental health, high depressive symptoms, they, they fare worse. Uh, people with lower leg strength and uh, go, are worse. People who are inact- physically inactive, you know, do worse. So um, really, like, there's, there's really strong evidence that, from, from a wide variety of sources, that, you know, movement is good for joint health. Mm -hmm. It's it's vital for joint health. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that you should not move is exactly back to front.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what dad always says. He says, look, sometimes it it hurts. Uh, But he said, it feels worse if I don't move, if I don't exercise. It feels worse. So some discomfort whilst moving. Uh, for him is far outweighed by by the relief uh, and the benefits he gets from from moving and also all the other myriad of benefits you get from exercising which we know is just like exercising is some sort of super drug (laughs) really for want of a better word Mm. isn't it Mm. like it's sort Mm. of I don't know the more studies I see coming out about I feel like every week I'm seeing something new about (laughs) how awesome exercise is for a different aspect of us as a human being right it's um it's it's you know it is it is the the super the super drug so okay excellent so we have established um what it is we've established uh, the mechanisms uh, we've established that we need to ultimately be uh, moving ourselves and our clients uh, to building them up to moving through full range uh, of the joints. And like anything, we we build our clients up incrementally and we, we meet them where they're at. Uh, so, you know, if they haven't done a full range squat in, Five years due to due to fear and pain in their knees. Well, you're not going to be like, hey, well, no, come on, we've got to go full range squat today because that's how you're going to, you know, we we're going to build them up. We're going to build self efficacy. We're going to build uh, uh, empowerment and move towards that that fearless movement. Now, having said all that. There are some things that we can uh, be mindful of or aware of when working with our clients uh, with arthritis. And um, here I'm thinking about... References and and whatnot in um the uh, ACSM guidelines. Uh, so uh Raffin, please jump in to add any extra. Uh, I'm thinking about things like um, giving a, a a longer warm up and a longer cool
0: down. Yeah, and that and that can just help with uh, you know minimizing symptoms like your dad experiences discomfort. You know, so I don't know if you know what his exercise habit is, but maybe if he full did on. A, a longer warm up you know it's been 10 <laughs> minutes gradually building up to the activity so and warming up is not rolling on a foam roller right yeah warming up is doing a lighter version of the activity that you're going to be doing as your workout or doing some other kind of full range of motion dynamic you know it loaded exercise so you start low load and then gradually build up the load over you know eight to ten minutes for someone with arthritis you know normally it would be three to five minutes for someone without arthritis Mm -hmm. but for someone with arthritis a slower more gradual warm-up can alleviate you know the the discomfort or a lot of the discomfort during exercise Mm
1: -hmm. and cool down how long are we looking for a cool down
0: similar probably you know eight to ten minutes and again just basically just progressively decreasing the intensity you know maintaining full range of motion and gradually you know making it smoother and softer and Mm-hmm. You know, until by the end, you're just lying on the ground breathing.
1: Mm-hmm. And if someone's having a particular flare up?
0: It- so, osteoarthritis generally doesn't have flare ups because it's it's not neuroimmune, but gotcha. uh, rheumatoid arthritis does have flare ups because it's an autoimmune condition. Mm-hmm. So, people with rheumatoid arthritis will have like, um, you know, uh, acute sort of episodes where their their joints are red hot and swollen, and mm. then they'll have periods of remission for, you know, days, weeks or months where they're basically, you know, very low symptoms or even Mm -hmm. symptom-free and and that kind of cycles. Okay. Um, So for people with rheumatoid arthritis, when it's red, hot and swollen, it's probably best to avoid, you know, impact. It's probably best to avoid things that significantly increase symptoms, Um, but it's still recommended to, you know, by the ACSM to gently move through full range of motion you know, to, because you're nourishing and lubricating the joints by doing that. Like, that's actually uh, improving joint health.
1: Right. You know,
0: and, and if you think about inflammation, right, arthritis is inflammation. In in, a, in an autoimmune condition like rheumatoid arthritis, there's heaps of inflammatory chemicals floating around inside that joint fluid, right? You've got histamines and cytokines, all kinds of joint you know, inflammation factors in there. Well, when you squeeze the joint fluid in and out, it washes out that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It 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 refreshes the the water in the fish tank, as it were, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it helps to reduce inflammation. Cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Great. Okay. So uh Pilates for seniors with arthritis. Where are we at with well, that, Raf?
0: Well, uh, all right, so where we're at is well, Pilates for humans with arthritis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and
1: and everyone, please. I'm just saying it because I'm looping back into <laughs> I'm looping us back into the what, what what people are popping into Google. Yeah, really. That's yeah. the it's the, the search. But Pilates for seniors with arthritis is is a, a searched a search topic.
0: Yeah, and so for, yeah, for Pilates with humans with arthritis, mm-hmm. uh, it's important to move the all joints through full range of motion as often as possible. And mm-hmm. anybody who's a Pilates teacher is hopefully singing along, going fist bump, you know, this is awesome. This Pilates is, is so fantastic yeah.
1: Yeah. for that. that and, and that's one of the things, when I say what I love about Pilates, one of the things I love about Pilates and one of the things that makes me feel so freaking awesome in my body when doing Pilates is moving through, full range, through full range. In yeah. in all directions. Like it's, it's I think it's fant- It's yeah. one of the best things about Pilates right. for me.
0: But I think that sometimes in Pilates, like we, we, we're pretty obsessed with moving the spine through full range of motion, flexion, extension, rotation, Mm -hmm. lateral flexion, the hips. But sometimes we forget about fully flexing the knees or, you know, fully flexing the elbows or, you know, like Mm -hmm. sometimes we, 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 or we're afraid of maybe fully flexing the knees if someone has knee pain, you know. So I think, uh, you know, really sort of bearing that in mind and thinking like, okay, well, how could I fully flex this person's knee in a way that they would find, you know, experience as emotionally safe? Mm. You know, so if, they, if they're if they not emotionally ready to do a bodyweight squat, well, what about lying on their back doing single leg stretch <laughs> and cue them to, to hug their thigh in and their shin into their chest as much as possible? You know, mm. what about kneeling on all fours and rocking back till their bum touches their heels? You know, what about footwork on a really, with a carriage stopper, all the way in yeah you know. rough cool great ideas um, so uh you know what about bend and stretching the legs and straps on the reformer and just cue them to bend more you yeah know? um so there's lots of cool ways you can start people moving through full range um and you know the more you can do that for folks with arthritis whether it's rheumatoid or osteo the better the only thing is for people with rheumatoid when they come in and they're red hot and swollen just you know let them have a bit of an easy day rolling around on the floor doing a few cat stretches you know whatever they can tolerate but please still move them and if they ring you up and say I can't come in today because I've got arthritis you should say no that's exactly when you should come in because we can give you a really nice gentle workout that's going to leave you feeling better you know do a bit of an extended warm up which, which is not just foam rolling it's, it's gradually building the intensity in the same movements they're going to be doing in the, in the workout you know 8 to 10 minutes um, of warm up um, and you shouldn't you don't need to avoid impact you know, for folks with osteoarthritis, there's no reason to avoid impact. There's no evidence that impact is is harmful, uh, you know, to the joints. Um, just like Chloe said before, build up to it, you know, start easy, build slowly. Um, for people with rheumatoid arthritis, if they're having an acute attack, yeah, that's a good time to avoid impact, okay, on the on the days when they're limping and, and hobbling and red hot and swollen. But in the interim, they can jog, they can do whatever, you know, like... Um, the, only, the last thing I would like to talk about is is seniors.
1: Mm. Actually, before we do that, Raf, uh, just something that came into my head um, when – I think this is probably when I was engaging with uh, Greg Lehman's work and also Ben Cormack's, uh, when they've been speaking about uh, particularly knee osteoarthritis, knee OA, mm-hmm. uh, is that really – the the best treatment so if we're thinking about best practice the current best practice for someone with knee oa is general exercise is exercise like that is currently the top top shelf intervention yeah i just wanted
0: yeah, to moving motion is lotion
1: cool ah uh, um, yes se- those seniors those seniors with yeah.
0: arthritis so um so it is it is uh a fact that when we observe, you know, population, you know, like a million people in whatever country, right – We notice that we look at the twenty-year-olds and the thirty-year-olds and the forty-year-olds and the fifty-year-olds and sixty-year-olds. We notice that the twenty-year-olds are the strongest, and the thirty-year-olds are not quite as strong as the twenty-year-olds, and the forty-year-olds are a bit less strong than the thirty-year-olds, and have a little bit less muscle mass and a little bit more body fat, and they don't walk as fast or run as fast, and they can't lift as much. And then the fifty-year-olds are a little bit weaker and a bit fatter. Gene, not in
1: (laughs) not in your house, Raph. You and Um, you and Jules wiped that. Ah, uh, <laughs> myth <laughs> right off the table.
0: <laughs> right. Um, and so so in a lot of textbooks, you know, in, in the textbooks I read in my undergrad degree in exercise science, what we were taught and, and what you'll read in a lot of places is that, you know, muscle mass and strength declines by some percentage. I think it's like, you know, 1% every decade. Oh, I see it in an Instagram
1: post almost daily. It's yeah. like, freak out, freak out.
0: Right. And, you know, you the middle age spread and, you, you know, you put on weight a certain amount after a certain age and you lose muscle mass at a certain rate and you just lose bone density at mm-hmm. a certain rate after a certain age. And it turns out that that is not directly related to age. It's related to activity. So the fact is that those 50-year-olds are less active than the 20-year-olds. And if you find 50-year-olds who are just as active as the 20-year-olds, well, they've got the same amount of muscle mass and the same bone density and the same amount of body fat as the 20-year-olds. And so uh, it is true that a absolutely elite 20-year-old is going to be stronger and faster than an absolutely elite 50-year-old. So it is true that our maximum potential declines as we age, right? So no one who's 80 is ever going to win a world record for the 100-meter sprint, right? Doesn't matter how fit they are. Mm-hmm. But you can you have, there are people who are 80 who are as strong or stronger than the average 20-year-old, right? There are people who in their 80s can deadlift one and a half times their body weight, right? There, you know, there, are, there are people in their 80s who run marathons, mm-hmm. right? And so, no, they're not going to compete with the elite 30-year-old marathon mm-hmm. runners, right? But- just because you get older doesn't mean you have to get weaker and more decrepit and frail. It's just that as we get older, we tend to sit more and move less and and challenge ourselves physically less. And so as a natural consequence, we lose condition because we're anti-fragile. You know, we require stress to maintain and build our strength and capacity and when we withdraw that stress you know we just sit in the sit on the sofa and watch netflix all day well we become weak and freaking watery you know so get off your sofa and go for a run what a <laughs> um, <good plan. laughs> what do you think we we wrapped <laughs> well I, I do want to just add like a couple of uh points in support of that that is We know that, like, we have studies in 90-year-olds, like nonagenarians, okay, doing heavy weightlifting, and we find that they put on muscle mass at the same rate as 20-year-olds, right? So if you get a – these are 90-year-old frail nursing home residents, right? God knows how they recruited them, you know, (laughs) to this study. (laughs) It would have been hilarious. (laughs) But they, they had them, you know, doing maximal deadlifts and squats and bench presses and all kinds of things. Wow. And and they put on like a, you wow. know. A, I can't remember the exact number, but they increased their muscle mass and their thighs by like 80% or some ridiculous wow. amount, right? You know, they people at any age oh, can get stronger, can build bone mineral density, can, you know, become more fit and more able so, you know, if, if you have someone who's elderly and frail, okay, don't worry about the elderly part. They're frail because they've been physically inactive for too many decades. So you've got to start them from a low base if that's where they're starting from, but you've got to get them moving mm. and build them up to being not frail. Mm-hmm. Like we have a solution for that. We can make people robust, you know, mm. get them moving, load, load them up, but just do it gradually and, and progressively build it within their tolerance. You know, and so if someone came in and they and you said, oh, what's the best exercise for someone who's 70 years old? I'd say, I've got no fucking idea. How fit are they? Mm. You know? <laughs> well said, Raph. <laughs> well said. Yeah. You know, it's like saying, what's the best exercise for someone who's 20? Well, is it a 20-year-old weightlifter, a 20-year-old marathon runner, a 20-year-old sedentary person? Mm. You know, it's like, like that, the, the relevant factor is, factor is not their age. It's, it's their level of fitness and activity. Mm-hmm. So get your seniors moving, for God's sakes.
1: Mm -hmm. Love it. Fantastic. Thanks, Ralph. That was so interesting. That was so cool to go back over that again. Thanks, everyone. Great episode.
0: Yeah, good talk. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert